Hi everyone, and welcome to The Low Bar, where we gather together and discuss actual crimes over drinks with like-minded people. I'm your bartender, Jay, and tonight I'm drinking a Pinot Grigio from, a from Familia. I used to think that it was just the Wegmans house wine, but <laughs> um, apparently it can be purchased from other venues, which is great. I'm not usually a big white wine person, but I'm happy enough to make an exception here. I started using this one in a chicken dish my daughter likes. Um, it's one of the key flavors, and of course it started out as kind of a glass for the food and a glass for the cook kind of thing, and it spiraled out from there. Uh, speaking of spiral, uh, tonight's story is one of intimate partner violence. Um, it's a relatively recent story, uh, dating back from, I think, 2013. And it's one that's played out a thousand times in your town, the house next door, the town next door, the one next to that. Um, because intimate partner violence is so pervasive and it's so triggering, um, I'm going to give this one a content warning. Um, yeah, again, you know, this something similar, at least in the events leading up to the actual killing, has probably happened to someone you know, if not to you yourself. And um, I'm not going to be offended if you don't want to keep on going. Um, honestly, I remember when this happened, and I certainly found it pretty disturbing. Um, but the fact that it is so ubiquitous means that we kind of have to talk about it. Um, there is one aspect of this story that is not ubiquitous, and that is uh, who the killer is. The killer is the son of a Boston sports, a Boston area sports legend. Uh, I'd like to pretend that this guy's famous father is the reason that he got away with as much as he did. Um, and the name probably did play some role. That said, I'm sure we all know at least one person who's gotten away with at least some of what Jared Remy did without any of his father's recognition. Um, I can think of three off the top of my head, just, you know, without even flinching, so... Uh, this is not a pretty story. Four families were wounded, a woman killed, and the lives of two children forever damaged. Uh, but it's a story that needs to be told because intimate partner violence is something that affects people from all walks of life. Um, there's no point in thinking that it's just something that happens in trailer parks. Um, silence only helps it spread further. So without further ado, let's uh, get on with the story. Right, so what did happen? On August 13th, 2013, Jared Remy and his partner, Jennifer Martell, got into an argument in their Waltham home. It was not the first time they argued, and it would not be the last. The argument escalated, again, not for the first time, and Remy threw Martell into the bathroom mirror. Uh, Remy was arrested, charged with assault, and assault and battery with a dangerous weapon, I'm sorry, and released on his own recognizance at the recommendation of the Middlesex County District Attorney. The judge gave Martel an 
emergency restraining order and issued a no abuse order to Remy. This was on the 14th. So he did spend a night behind bars. On the 15th, Remy returned to the home. There was a protracted struggle. Uh, part of the attack took place on the neighbors on the couple's patio in full view of the neighbors. One neighbor did attempt to intervene only to have Remy go after him. Remy stabbed uh, Jennifer Martell, stabbing her repeatedly in the neck and the shoulder. Their four-year-old daughter was present at the time, and Remy was arrested at the scene. These are the basic, the very basic, bare facts of the murder itself. exactly a mystery about who had committed the crime. After all, there were witnesses, including neighbors and the couple's daughter. Remy had been arrested for assaulting the victim only two days before killing her, and he was still on the scene by the time that Waltham police arrived. But who was Jared Remy? And why, after shoving her into a mirror hard enough to be charged with assault and battery with a dangerous weapon, was he free to attack her again? Jared Remy was born in 1978. His father was Red Sox legend Jerry Remy, and he struggled from a young age with dyslexia and aggression. Um, his parents sought help for, for him early, sending him to a special school for children with learning and behavioral difficulties, which was absolutely the right thing to do. No question about it. Um, still, his parent, his behavior caused him to be excluded from school sports in high school. Uh, this is, I don't know about your locality, but here, kids who wind up getting sent to those particular types of private school can usually participate in local sports uh, in, in the town where they live. Um, this is sometimes true for small religious schools as well. Um, you know, I know that we've got a couple of kids on my daughter's teams who fit into that category. You know, most kids who have these problems, most people who have these issues, do not go on to hurt people. Um, so I just want to make that clear. Um, and in fact, socializing with other students is usually beneficial. Um, at any point, in 1996, uh, Jared's father was forced to call the police out of fear that Jared was harassing an ex-girlfriend. Um, the ex in question and her family uh, were too afraid of retaliation from Jared to file for a restraining order, so it was up to... Uh, Jared's father to call the police on his own son. Um, I'm bringing this up, you know, you may be thinking, why are we talking about someone he was pestering in high school out of puppy love? Um, well, because it shows a pattern of behavior. Um, in an attempt to interrupt Jared's fixation on this ex, the father had 
him sent to Florida, where the father was covering Red Sox spring training games. He had become a presenter by this point. Um, if you live in New England, you are painfully aware of this. Um, <laughs> so after uh, father and son returned from Florida, uh, Jared started dating a 15-year-old girl from his high school. He was 19. Uh, he got this girl pregnant. Uh, the girl's name is publicly available. I am choosing not to use it because she hasn't consented and because there turns out to be a lot more going on with this particular pairing um, that I am sure she would rather just walk away from. Um, Jared verbally and physically abused this young woman throughout her pregnancy to include trying to push her out of a moving car. He put together a group of friends to hunt down and assault a male friend of hers who was also 15 and uh, left the boy with life-threatening head injuries. Um, Remy was not charged in this incident. And this is not a matter of he said, she, she said, this is a matter of public record. Um, the son, the child, Jared's son, was born to this young woman on, in December of 1997. Jared was arrested on August 7th of the next year, 1998, for domestic violence against this woman, the mother of his son. The attack came while she was holding their baby, and he was sentenced to probation. In October of the same year, while still on probation, he learned that the girl was spending time with a male friend of his, so he went to this friend's house and smashed a beer bottle over his head. The court issued a continuance without finding, which basically means that the defendant admits that there is enough evidence to support a guilty verdict and agrees not to get into trouble for another year. This is the same... The same verdict he got in his domestic violence arrest for attacking the mother of his child um, in August. So, and, you know, he was sentenced to probation again. Um, in 2000, uh, Remy and the mother of his child had split and he had a new girlfriend. He moved into an apartment with her and a friend of his. The friend wound up asking for a restraining order against Jared on March 25th of that year because Remy barged into the friend's workplace and threatened said friend with a gun. Uh, Remy apparently blamed the friend for the breakup with the new girlfriend. Remember, this is only on March 25th of that year. <laughs> Again, he was less... This is three months into the new year. The roommate ultimately dropped the request for a restraining order, instead ratting him out to the police for possession of steroids. Police did not find the steroids themselves, but found uncapped syringes and several hunting knives. No action was taken. On April 3rd, uh, this time it's Remy calling the police for an unwanted person report. 
Uh, police arrived to find Remy screaming at his mother, Phoebe, through the window of her car. He continued to scream at his mother in the presence of the police, and when officers tried to intervene, he elbowed one in the gut. He wasn't charged with assault of an officer like you or I would be, but instead with disturbing the peace. The very next day, Remy's most recent ex-girlfriend filed a criminal complaint against Remy for repeatedly calling her and threatening to kill her if they didn't get back together. She didn't appear in court, and Remy's attorney was able to get the case pushed out into a magistrate's hearing. Ultimately, the case was dismissed. During that same year, the mother of Jared's son sought and received sole custody of the boy, with Jared not being allowed to see the child alone. Jared threatened the mother and her new boyfriend, which landed him back in court. While Jared admitted to threatening the pair, and the judge freely admitted that probation didn't seem to be working for him, he issued another continuance without finding and insisted on more probation and counseling. On April of the next year, 2001, Jared hit another man with another bottle. <laughs> yeah. During this year, he began a relationship with a 21-year-old girl from, woman from Waltham. Police became involved with Remy eight times for domestic violence incidents against this partner. Um, these incidents include harassment, threats, physical assault, mutilation of her property, cutting up her clothes and pictures, and showing up to her workplace to physically assault her. He was arrested and charged with assault, but released on bail, paid by his mother, and told to get a job. That's when he was hired by the Red Sox as part of the security team. He was arrested again for what was described as slapping her around. Uh, he described this as slapping her around, but he dismissed the likely consequences as another year of probation, which is exactly what happened. He violated a restraining order, which he, which resulted in six whole days of prison until the woman in question agreed to lift the restraining order against him. In 2007, he met and started dating Jennifer Martell. She initially viewed the relationship as a fling, but she became unexpectedly pregnant. They initially became engaged, but Martell called off the wedding, called off the engagement, and said she would never marry him. And, well, you know the rest. Remy initially pled not guilty to Martel's murder, despite the fact that there were multiple witnesses watching him do it. He said he would not have contact with his daughter while incarcerated. He was denied bail and said he hoped his parents would get custody of his daughter as they had greater financial means. Yeah. Um, he also got into trouble for assaulting another inmate while being held prior to trial. According to Remy, the, this inmate was a child molester. Sources have been unclear as to whether or not this, this detainee was actually a child molester or not, which, of course, is the whole problem with vigilante justice. At any rate, Remy was moved to a different area of the Middlesex County Jail, where he could not have contact with 
any other detainees. I haven't seen any speculation as to what, whether or not this was his goal. On May 27th, 2014, Jared Remy changed his plea to guilty and was sentenced to mandatory life without the possibility of parole. It is the harshest sentence the Commonwealth of Massachusetts can hand down, and I have no problem seeing it applied here. When I was a kid, my mother told me never to stay with someone once he'd raised a hand to me. If he's gotten away with it once, he'll keep doing it. Now, Remy's record is a bit more complicated than any sweeping generalization could indicate. I've glossed over his issues with steroid use, for example, and of course the most dangerous time for a person experiencing intimate partner violence is when they try to leave. But when it comes to general advice and what you tell a kid who, you know, is probably a little bit too young to process nuance, a mom was pretty much right. Remy's story is a perfect example. He had a record dating back to high school of violence against the girls and women he dated. He wasn't ashamed of it. Even when he pled guilty, facing actual real-world consequences for the first time in his life, he didn't actually accept responsibility. I, I would like you to know, this is a quote from him, I would like you to know that I always told Jen she could leave, but don't threaten me with my daughter, he read from a handwritten statement. That night, Jen had a knife in her hand, and she threatened me with my daughter, so I killed her. That's not taking responsibility. For one thing, there's been no mention in any other source that Martel had any weapon or made any attempt to defend herself. For another, an attempt to gain custody of her daughter is not a valid excuse to stab someone in the neck repeatedly, especially not after years of abuse, but not ever. There was some discussion after the murder about whether or not the courts had failed anyone in this case. Had they failed Jared Remy? Had they failed Martel? Had they just failed? Personally, I think if you have to ask that question, and if you had even a hint of Jared Remy's history of violence against women, you and I probably have a pretty big different opinion about the role of the courts. And the Commonwealth has made some changes since and its laws regarding intimate partner violence. The issue is, most of these changes revolve around punishment. There are two problems with that. The first is, very few criminals think they're going to get caught, especially in cases where the crime is emotionally driven, because in that moment, they don't care if they get caught. They're just so driven by whatever is pushing them on to lash out. Um, the second is that enforcement requires the victim to press charges. That implies that the victim has the freedom to do so. Uh, we saw when we went over Remy's history that from the very beginning, Remy's victims lived in fear of retaliation. Remy also depended on isolation, on keeping his victims financially dependent, and on emotional pressure to force his victims to drop charges and to lift restraining orders. The people responding to victims can also play a role in suppressing charges, even without meaning to. Questions like, what did you say to him to set him off, are common and unhelpful. 
It's normal to get frustrated, especially after you've responded to the same home multiple times. It still reinforces the notion that no one is actually interested in helping. The new laws passed in the wake of Jennifer Martell's murder did make it easier to include a defendant's history of domestic, domestic abuse when bringing charges in a current case. So it would have been easier to consider Remy's history with the mother of his son when considering charges for his behavior with subsequent girlfriends and Martell. That said, there is still a lot of discretion held by judges and prosecutors who were aware of Remy's history and had already acknowledged that he wasn't being helped by probation and sentenced him to probation anyway. The greatest impact was felt by Martell's daughter and her family, of course. After an initial stint in foster care, it seemed as though custody would go to the Remy family. This outraged many people in this area, which is saying a lot considering the high esteem in which Jerry Remy is held in Boston. And while there was initially a custody fight, in the end, Martell's family was granted primary custody, while the Remys have visitation. Jerry Remy's announcement of the resolution of this case forced me to reassess my feelings towards him, which were not awesome before his son killed Jennifer Martell. Sorry, I'm a Yankee fan since birth, and having to listen to the Boston broadcast for Sox Yankees fans really gets my blood up. Um, his words were very touching, and as sensitive as even I could want him to be, and I very humbly bow my head and admit that I was wrong. Alright, a lot has been made about how often Jared Remy got away with things. For a while there, it looked like he might get away with literal murder. And I have to admit, he might have done it if the case had gone to a jury. Um, people have suggested that the Remy name gave Jared opportunities less exalted person might not have had. Some have gone further and suggested that his parents actively enabled him. I'm not really sure where to stand on that. On the one hand, some sources do claim that Jared's mother specifically asked at least one of his victims to drop a restraining order, only to have that him assault that woman again very soon after um, she dropped it. That's not good. It is, in fact, very, very bad. It's also not uncommon at all. I remember the father of a rape survivor telling me about how the assailant's mother, pregnant wife, and sister all showed up on his doorstep to pressure his daughter into dropping the charges, which she did not, I want to point out. Um, but it is natural and normal as a parent to try to smooth things out for one's child. Um... It's also normal to see your kid with rose-colored glasses. No one wants to admit that the child that they raised is a monster. The fact is, Jerry Remy recognized that Jared had issues with women and violence back when he was a teenager. He tried to intervene when Jared was harassing a high school girlfriend, and in fact dragged him to the opposite end of the continent in an attempt to make him stop. He enrolled Jordan in a school program specifically designed for children with his diagnosed problems. Far from using his prestige and privilege to abet his son, 
He used his position, the position in which life had placed him, to try to get Jared the best help possible. Um, I'm not a Red Sox fan. When I'm forced to watch the Red Sox broadcasts of Yankee games, I complain until I'm blue in the face uh, because I'm forced to listen to Jerry Ramey's announcing. Sorry, guy. I'm absolutely the last person to look toward for sympathy, for sympathetic coverage of anything Red Sox related. And when I first heard about what happened, I was absolutely disgusted. I'm very glad to have been proven wrong. Um, I thought, and some of the media coverage at the time helped to put me into this thought pattern. Although, I freely own my own bias. Um, I thought that the Remy's were trying to take custody of Martin's daughter through their disproportionate wealth and prestige. That wasn't the case. They worked with the Martins to get vis visitation rights, but the Martin family has custody. Um, he also wrote a really gripping, heartbreaking section in his book that discussed Jared's crimes. That section is excerpted in Deadspin, and I highly recommend reading it. It's if you want to see a really good um, look into what it feels like to have raised someone who did something that horrific, I, w I don't think you can really get anything better than those excerpts. Um, it's really, it really, I'm trying to find the words because it was very touching, very touching, and it didn't really pull any punches either, you know, but it's obvious that he still loves his son, and that is what a parent is supposed to do, and you can hate what they did, and love your child. You know, so I have to admit, I really admire him as a person, as a father. Um, and I'm glad that looking into this case further really helped me to do that, helped me to overcome my own bias. Normally, I'd come down here and talk about some kind of connection I might have to the crime. You know, maybe it would be a connection to the town or when or where I was when I heard about it. I'm not going to do that here. Instead, I'm going to talk about something that was spotted on a prominent and visible spot on Jared Remy's body during a court appearance. Um, the number 88 was tattooed on his right hand. I, where it certainly can't be hidden easily. For those of you who aren't aware, this is a symbol commonly used by neo-Nazis. The number eight represents the eighth letter in the English alphabet. The two together represents HH for Heil Hitler. Yeah, I know, it sounds stupid. Um, it is stupid. So is becoming a neo-Nazi. So is getting neo-Nazi tattoos, particularly in places that you can't hide. You can look this stuff up for yourself if you want, but if I were making it up, I'd have used much more creative
creative imagery. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I mean, Nazis, man. Massachusetts Nazis. I hate those guys. Um, the speculation was that he had gotten this ink to protect himself in prison. I haven't heard if this was an effective strategy or not. I haven't done much investigating. I don't actually care. I'm sure that there were other groups he could have affiliated himself with to get the same protection, if it's true. It was 2014. Becoming a neo-Nazi was a choice. I mean, ah! I've heard every excuse from in the book for people who batter their partners, as we talked about last week with the Kitty Genovese case. Um, that's that's the kind of person, if you are the kind of person who stands behind wife beaters, um, you know, domestic abusers, uh, that's who you're, you're lining yourself up with right there. The kind of guy who makes the conscious choice to become a neo-Nazi. It's a real good look, let me say. I mean... Like, really, what else are you going to, like, like, oh, geez, I'm going to go off to prison. Guess I'll be a Nazi now. Really? Really? Uh. On that cheerful note, I'm going to call it a night. My drink is heavy. My drink is empty. My cat is heavy and really wants to sit on this computer. And I'm pretty sure that they're playing my song on the radio. Grab yourself another round. Stay safe out there. Don't get really bad tattoos. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> jeez. Have a great night, everybody. Hey, um... I'm sure you've already figured out that I record these a little bit ahead of time. Um, I just wanted to make a note. Today is Sunday, October 31st. Um, I recorded this before today. I just wanted to make a note that Jerry Remy, the father of Jared Remy, uh, who is the killer in this episode, um... Jerry Remy passed away today. Um, I just wanted to make a note and uh, let you all know since we quoted from him and talked about him. Um, I hope that he is out of pain and uh, my condolences to his family. <laughs>